Welcome this morning to our service of the word. I hope you've had a good week. And if you haven't, I pray this morning the Lord would strengthen you and sustain you and uplift you. Let's begin. We come from scattered lives to meet with God. Let us recognise his presence with us. May the God of love bring us back to himself, forgive us our sins and assure us of his eternal love in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the collect for today. Merciful God, you have prepared for those who you love such good things as pass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let's sing our praises to the Lord. Join in if you want to um, as we listen and sing um, Praise is Rising. Praise is Rising, eyes are turning to you. Return to you. Hope is stirring, hearts are yearning for you. We long for. We find strength to face the day And in your presence all our fears are washed away Washed away today is carrying on with the book of Nehemiah and rebuilding the wall that we've been following for the past few weeks. And there's not going to be a sermon as such today, but Paul is going to speak to us throughout the service um, about Nehemiah. And the reading this week is taken from Nehemiah chapter 5. Well, last week we were thinking about uh, opposition that sometimes comes along. And um, we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 4. We're continuing this week into chapter 5. And and really chapters 4, 5 and 6 are all about different kinds of opposition. Chapters 4 and 6, they they talk really about opposition that comes from the outside. 
Chapter five is a bit different. It talks about opposition from within. How sometimes we end up fighting against one another. And you might think, um, I think wrongly, sadly, that uh, churches might be exempt from such things. But we're not. We all know, don't we, that sometimes churches divide against each other. There's actually been quite a few books written about this. I was looking on Amazon the other day and I've actually got a couple of books on my shelves about church conflict, but I was looking to see what else is out there. Uh, and I saw this one and uh, the price is unbelievable, isn't it? I think uh, on Amazon, if something's really rare, the price just absolutely rockets. I mean, nobody is gonna pay that price. But it was interesting that uh, someone, and this book was written quite a lot of years ago, about 40 years ago, and uh, it's still around today, albeit at a price that no one is willing to pay. I mean, I might pay a couple of quid for it, but I'm not paying that price. Here in chapter five, we see the difficulties that Nehemiah had with those who were involved in rebuilding the wall. And uh, chapter five, verses one to five, is where I want to start the reading. And we see how the complaints of the Jews about the way that they were being treated by other Jews, either ignoring their needs or actually making those needs worse by exploiting them. Let's, uh, let's have a look at these verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. And although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So there was a famine going on, which obviously did not help. But those who owned property were forced to mortgage their fields and their vineyards and their homes to buy food. Others had to borrow to pay the king's taxes. Some even forced to sell their children into slavery. In disregard of the Mosaic law that forbade Jews from charging interest to each other, they were charging interest. It tells us in verse 11, it says this, Give back to them immediately their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also the usury that you are charging, and the tax, in other words, the, the loan payments, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine and oil. Now, that um, actually means, uh, just to go into a little bit of background, the hundredth part is 1% interest rate, but it's per month, 12% per year. That's quite a, quite a difficult interest rate to manage, isn't it, when you haven't got much in the first part. And it wasn't allowed by Jewish law, as we've seen. Nehemiah thinks this is serious enough to stop the work on the walls that we heard about last week. They'd got the wall to half height and they were looking to finish it, close all the gaps and get the wall finished. And he breaks off because this is a serious matter. And he realizes that 
A house divided against itself, as Jesus said, cannot stand. Now, the way that Nehemiah deals with this is really interesting. It obviously predates the New Testament. We're talking about 440 BC, give or take. Um, but some of the principles that Jesus was later to talk about in the Gospels are on display here. And I think there are two main ones, one of which involves um, the people and one of which is a principle for himself. First of all, to resolve conflict biblically, the people must air their complaint to the right people. It's a basic but often overlooked principle. A leader cannot deal with problems that he's not aware of. Leaders aren't psychic. Sometimes we can't deal with problems even when we are aware of them, but without exception, if we don't know what someone's problem is or someone's issue is, we can't do anything. And I certainly know what it's like to be criticized for not dealing with problems that I simply wasn't aware of. I'm amazed how often complaints in churches generally, and I'm, I'm not specifically talking about, about our churches here, I think it's something I've observed over the years and I've heard other clergy talk about. The number of times that the very people who could help are the last to find out. And of course, there's always a reason. People say, well, I wanted to find if others felt the same way or I just needed to air my feelings or I didn't think the vicar would listen to me or whatever. But when we talk to everybody else in the church, except the people who can maybe do something about it, we're not going to get very far, are we? To resolve problems biblically, we need to go first to the person responsible. Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, that we go first privately to the person with whom we have a complaint or a dispute. If someone has done that, I like to think for myself, I can't speak about other ministers, that I am always willing to listen. And if apologies need to be made, if reparations need to be made, if changes need to be put in place, then I would try to do that. If you come and uh, tell me of a problem and then nothing happens, then there is a process for taking it further. And the verse in Matthew tells us what that process is, that after you've gone privately and if you don't feel you've got satisfaction with that then you go with a couple of others and if you still don't get satisfaction then you go as it were to the church so there's a biblical principle set down by jesus which nehemiah follows 400 years before jesus lived people must air their problems with the person that can do something about it first and the second principle is this Leaders must deal with issues and complaints in a biblical way. Now, what do we mean by this? Well, the passage tells us, because we see Nehemiah in action. We see what he does. And he does, I think, three things. And the first one is actually in verse 6, and it tells us this. When I, Nehemiah, of course, when I heard their outcry and those charges, 
I was very angry. Now, it might come as a surprise to us to hear that Nehemiah, a man of God, was angry. Now, the Bible clearly teaches us that there are lots of occasions when anger is wrong, when anger is destructive and sinful and needs to be repented of. And I know that there have been times when that's been true for me. But sometimes anger is the right response. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4. We see how Jesus got angry at the hardness of heart of the Pharisees. But he didn't sin. There is righteous anger. And so whilst we should be very clear to examine our own motives before God and check ourselves that we're not just being angry because we're reacting, because we're angry for anger's sake. But there is a place for getting angry. Angry at injustice, angry at things that are wrong, angry at things that are pulling the attention away from God in the religious community. And here was Nehemiah working his guts out with a bunch of people to do what he really believed God wanted. And people were doing stupid things. He got angry. He got angry with the people. And it was righteous anger, verse 6. Secondly, and this relates to, to, my, to my first point a few moments ago, my first principle, he followed the principles of biblical confrontation. Look at verse 7 in the passage. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials and I told them you are exacting usury from your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. He doesn't talk behind the people's backs. He doesn't talk to everybody else first. He goes first of all to the people who were doing what needed to be put right. And we don't exactly know how that process played out. Um, we've only got what we've got in Nehemiah chapter 5, but it is clear that the principle is, as Jesus said, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. If he does not listen to you, then take one or two more with you. If he still will not listen, tell it to the church. Nehemiah went about it in the right way. He wasn't afraid to confront. Now, I'll be honest, I find confronting people with things, you might be surprised to learn this, but I find confrontation very difficult. I, I, am, a, I am a conflict avoider by nature. Uh, paradoxically, it gets me into a lot of conflict I actually think my ministry would go better if I could somehow learn how to do what Nehemiah did properly and carefully and lovingly, filled with grace. And uh, I know I've got a way to go on that. But I genuinely uh, would almost do anything to avoid conflict, hoping that things will somehow sort themselves out on their own. And sometimes they just won't, will they? We have to go and we have to, as it were, lance a boil. So Nehemiah followed the principles of biblical confrontation. And then thirdly, and I think very importantly, he set an example. If you look at verse 10 
well, verse eight and following, we see how he, how he did this. He said, he called them together and he said, as far as possible, we have brought our Jewish brothers back who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet for they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you were doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? So this is the important bit. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. And we see tucked away in those, those verses the idea that Nehemiah wasn't just a man of words, he was a man of action. He was willing to put his uh, pocketbook, if you like, his checkbook, his wallet, where his mouth was. He talks about how he himself was using money to redeem Jews from slavery and loaning them money without interest and didn't insist on his rights to have any special allocation of food. If we read ahead to verse 14, it says this, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because it tells us that Nehemiah was well treated by the king. Uh, we, we heard in the very first sermon in this series how um, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king uh, back in Babylon. And as um, the king's appointed person, really going back to Jerusalem, he was given an allocation of um, soldiers and also it, it turns out here food. But he refuses to eat the food. He recognises that there are others who are really struggling, who are starving, who don't have that food. And rather than just taking what was rightfully his, he refuses, he identifies with those who have nothing. He follows the example of Jesus himself, who laid aside his rights to take on the form of a servant and be obedient even to death on the cross. May we all, may I, follow that in our own lives. Putting others first, recognising others' needs before our own. Recognising that this is not my church, this is not Paul Walker's church, this is not any of our churches, this is God's church, isn't it? St Peter's doesn't belong to us, St Paul's doesn't belong to us, this benefit is not ours. It was here before us, these churches, and they'll be here long after us. We are servants here for a season. So those three principles, I think, uh, show Nehemiah in a very positive light at this stage of his ministry. Exercising righteous anger. Confronting those at fault, but in a biblical way with gentleness, kindness and grace and setting a godly personal example to those around him. May I, may all of us make that the watchword of how we are church here in 2020 emerging from COVID-19. Sunday will now bring our prayers. Lord, our world is suffering and many are struggling. 
as cracks can develop to split the walls of a house, so words can split our relationships, our families and the church. We betray you by destroying one another through gossip and negativity. Challenge us, God, that we may see how we bind and cage both you and one another. Empower us, we pray, to build your new church for which we dream and long wherever we are. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, teach us to be in the world, but not of it. Guard us from falling into traps like the search for power and prestige, for money or baubles. In the interests of harmony here on earth, as well as fitting us for the kingdom to come. Free us from these snares, that we may see your way and do your will to build your kingdom here. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we give you thanks for our lives and for all that we find ourselves able to do with the time and talents that you have given us. We pray for our communities and ask for your help in discovering where your church might be of use. We pray for our neighbours, both those that mourn and those that celebrate. May we share in their sufferings and their hopes, that by love we may serve one another in your name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord of forgiveness and love, even when our faith is shaken, your faithfulness remains a constant comfort. We ask you to give light to our footsteps as we attempt to follow in your way. Heal our wounds and lead us towards the certainty of your truth. Wherever we can, show us how we can stand with those who are enduring time of trial and testing. For we know that both love and light can be shed on the darkness of our world, even from the deepest sorrow when it is transfigured by your loving hands. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of grace, bring us strength and peace as we seek to know your will, to build your kingdom and to show you through our words and deeds wherever we may be. Merciful Lord, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. And we join in with the prayer that our Lord and Saviour taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.
So go in peace to love and serve the Lord this day and every day. And let's sing that wonderful hymn, The Church's One Foundation. we say the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us all evermore. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. God bless you.